Are you amazed when people drive their vehicles for over 250,000 miles? How often should you change your engine oil? What techniques can improve your mileage? Would an expensive fuel injection cleaning improve your engine performance? This is Car Guy with Brett Beechler of Beechler's Vehicle Care and Repair. Find out how to substantially reduce your cost per mile and extend the longevity of your vehicles. Welcome to Car Guy with Brett Beechler on PeoriaLife.com. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Car Guy on PeoriaLife.com. My name is Greg McCoy. I'm co-host with the star of the show, Brett Beechler. How are you doing, Brett? I'm doing fantastic, Greg. How are you doing? Oh, I'm not sure if I'd say fantastic. I'd say really good. Well, good, good. But you're, fantastic probably is better. You're in the garden, so that's a good thing. That's right. I'm, I'm horizontal or am I vertical? No, you're vertical I'm in vertical. the garden. Yes. Okay. <laughs> All right. Today we're going to talk about fluids and air conditioning. That's kind of interesting. A lot of people probably don't realize how many different fluids there are in their car. Yes. There's a lot. Yes. And I know this sounds a little uninteresting uh, to start off with the fluids that are in the car and what they have to do and their job. Um, but uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of confusion out there with consumers with fluids. And this is really why I brought this to the table is to help kind of clarify what all these fluids serve and what their purpose are to do in the vehicle. So um, first one we'll start off with is we'll talk about oil. Um, I've talked about this many, many times, you know, we talked about the intervals and I'll remind everybody don't do 3000 mile intervals, you know, trust your oil life monitor. I, I, I pound, we literally talk about that almost with every customer that leaves the place, um, because it has been for years and, uh, and misunderstood piece of information in our industry where other facilities have sold folks on 3000 mile oil changes because what they're scared about is losing that car count is really what it boils down to in this industry is they lose that car count. Because if you take somebody that gets their oil changed four times a year versus two times a year because of that oil, and then you multiply that by 4,000 customers in your database, for example, that number has a drastic effect in terms of how many times you see a customer a year. Uh, so basically in that, in that, in our world, you either gain more customers, you go out and recruit more customers or you stick to the old adage of 3,000 mile intervals. Now, was there a time when the 3,000 mile interval was legitimate? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that time was when engine technology and oil technology was not as advanced as it is today. Okay. So I wanted, we just continually educate people in this, in this fashion. And it is not a day that goes by that somebody walks in the door and we say, hey, we set your sticker for X amount of miles. 5,000 is our standard right now. Or you can trust the oil life monitor and lights. And they're literally their eye, eyelids kind of light up like, what did you just say? And we have to re reiterate to them and explain 5,000 miles or your oil life indicator. That's what we recommend. So they're really almost refreshed. People get that when they say, Hey, I'm only, I'm only going to see you a couple, three times a year. Yep. That's right. You're only going to see us a couple, three times a year. Of course, we welcome people if they want to have fluids checked and things like that to come back in, we'll check them real quick. Um, because some people quite frankly, don't want to do that or don't want to learn how to do that. And that's okay. Um, but the, the, I start off with oil because I do want to talk about the little bit of the makeup of the oil, but I, I always, always, always hammer home this idea of 5,000 mile oil changes. 
you know, and I know Greg, your car, I, I believe the owner's manual says you can go up to 7,500 on the Hyundai. So a lot of Asian vehicles you're seeing are, you can go up to 7,500 now. Yeah. You know, it's funny ever since starting this program, um, my ears have kind of perked up when I hear people talking about cards and so mm -hmm. forth. And <clears throat> I'll mention to people I'm doing this show right now. And they say, really, what have you learned? And we, and we get into this question about oil change and their question. First of all, they all say we should change every 3000 miles, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody says that. Everybody. It's incredible. <laughs> so then I smile and say, well, no, not necessarily. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a waste of money. And, and then they say, well, how often should we do it? And then I say, check your owner's manual. And they give you a blank stare, like, what's that? Owner's manual? Does it say that in the owner's manual? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of funny. You know, what's funny is this interval changed over 10 years ago. It started changing in cars well over 10 years ago. And people still to this day are saying it is an amazing marketing accomplishment to me for the industry to keep that embedded in people's brains and their forethought of, hey, you've got to change your oil every 3,000 miles. However, it's better if they do that than if they... Never changed. This oil. is true. <laughs> I had one in last week that was, it was over 10,000 or 12,000 miles prior to coming to us for the first time that they had changed your oil. You know, and it's one of those deals. It's kind of like going to the dentist and you take it a little too far and a little too far and a little too far. And then you're embarrassed to go to the dentist after a couple of years of not having your teeth inspected and cleaned. Um, I think the same concept goes on with cars and people coming in and, you know, you shouldn't feel embarrassed. I mean, it happens. Was there any oil in the crankcase? You know, believe it or not. There was, but he also indicated that he had added oil in between changes. So that was a good thing. But the bad thing is, is that oil was completely and utterly black and dirty and it had done its job and then some on keeping the engine um, as clean as best it possibly could. So um, so one thing to remember with oil, uh, in order for oil to do its job, and when you see oil that gets starts getting dirty and blacker, it's actually doing its job. Because dirt is designed, it's designed for dirt to be suspended in the oil and not intermix um, and get in between bearings and things like that. Um, so believe it or not, when you see oil become darker, it's doing its job and that's okay. And when you say dirt, it's not really dirt, like like it's, soil. Well, it, it's, it's it's combustion yes. residue. Yes, combustion yeah. res residue, fine particles that are in the air that make it through the air filter, that does happen. Um, but yeah, most of it's combustion residue, correct. It does kind of sound like we're throwing topsoil dirt inside the engine, but that is not the case. So obviously the, the, the correct antidote on something like this when it, be, when it reaches its maximum life is to drain the oil and put new oil in and you replace the filter. Now you can do this at home. Um, as you've explained to me before, Greg, and, and I understand it's becoming more and more of a challenge to do it at home and dispose of the oil properly. Um, to me, it's what's your time worth is kind of what it boils down to. Not that, you know, if, if you don't make a whole lot of money an hour, it's not worth that. But I look at it, you come into an oil change facility, you pay for a quality oil change. You know, our place is 39 bucks, um, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, you're out the door and you're on to your other things you're going to do. Or do you spend an hour or two fiddling around with it at home and going to the place to pick up the parts and bringing it home and hoisting the car and taking a little risk being underneath the car. Well, these days you can't hardly get to the oil filter on many that, models. That's the other part of the challenge is, is gaining access to the oil filter is a little bit of a challenge. You, you can still do it on most vehicles, but the other catch is the mess you make. If you don't drain it right, 
And you've never had that happen to you, have you, Greg? <laughs> I have, unfortunately. Yeah. But the other thing you can do if you do it wrong, if you, if you do it yourself, and I've had this happen to me a long time ago when I used to change my own oil, is I put the oil filter on and I did it too tight. Oh, goodness. Guess what happened? I was going down the road and the oil light comes on. And what had happened is I'd done it too tight and the, the seal had squeegeed out mm -hmm. and all the oil just went pew. Yeah. <laughs> and I was stuck. Yeah, you were stuck. Had to get towed in. So it, to me, in the end, it's not it's not worth it. It's it's truly not worth it to try to change your own oil and spend a couple hours doing it in the mess and the disposal. And so, but again, that's, it's entirely your decision as to what you want to do. But to me, it's, it's not worth it. So, um, the other next fluid we're going to talk about is transmission fluid. So the transmission doesn't contact the air as the oil does, as you and I very well know, but some people don't know that it is contained within the transmission system. And it, theoretically speaking, never sees air. Basically basically a sealed system. It's a sealed system. So interestingly, there are some vehicles out there that don't have a transmission dipstick to check the fluid level. Really? Yes. So their theory behind it is if it develops an external leak, then you need to address the leak and then go from there. Um, but otherwise, in theory, it never loses fluid like an engine can, can quote unquote burn oil. And you can never see a drop on your driveway. However, you can still lose oil. And those are the ones that, like my car, I put a cord in every 1,500 miles. It's a Nissan Altima, a little bit older version of it. Um, but I, I plan on putting a cord in because it burns oil. It doesn't have a single oil leak in the engine, um, but it uses oil. And a lot of people's cars, even newer cars, you're starting to see some oil usage. But that, that background factor is you're taking cars five, six, seven, eight thousand miles in between changes, it's going to happen. Back when it was three thousand miles, you'd maybe see a quarter of a quarter or half a quart loss. You know, if you take it up to nine thousand miles, you could see, you know, you could see upwards of two, three quarts loss over that time. And that's normal usage. So um, don't be alarmed by that. So back to the transmission fluid. There is metal to metal contact, however, in transmissions. That's where the wear and the tear comes from on transmission fluid. So that's, that's where you want to adhere to the, you know, you don't change it every 5,000 miles. That's correct, like you do oil. Um, however, most, most manufacturers, if you look inside your owner's manual, encouragement statement, most manufacturers will state they want their fluid changed typically around 100,000 miles. And you'll see some transmissions you can take up to 150,000 miles. You'll see some transmissions at 60,000. You know, one of the Asian vehicles in particular, Toyota, does not have a mileage interval recommendation. However, they state when that oil becomes darkened, you change the oil, okay? Um, there, are, there are a few Asian vehicles that are adhering to that. That's to that. pretty specific. It's pretty specific um, to a certain degree because it can be a subjective opinion once it becomes darkened and lose that loses that bright reddish color to it. Um, so, so most of the time though, you're gonna see a mileage interval. Sometimes in the, in the older Fords, you're going to see 30,000 miles. They want their fluid changed. Wow. But the background of all this is you've got a, a $3,000 piece of equipment, i.e. the transmission component, that if you do not take care of it, it will not take care of you. And then it absorbs some funds out of your wallet in the long run if you're not taking care of it and changing these fluids. So to me, it's what we call an investment. Um, you you want to keep pretty close eye on what your interval is. So the only, there's a couple things that'll affect the longevity of the fluid inside of the transmission. So if you're in a mountainous area 
and or you're towing a trailer on a regular basis, this will reduce the amount of time that you can have that fluid inside the transmission. It's just going to work harder. It's like you and I dragging a, you know, a trailer behind our bicycles. It's just flat going to work harder. So a lot of pickup trucks probably are going to have that mm-hmm. situation. Yeah, you're going to see a lot of pickup trucks that are changing their fluids more often. And the owner's manual will specifically state in there, um, by the way, if you're towing or if you're in a mountainous region, this interval that you see of 100,000 miles, for example, will be reduced. Typically, it's thirty to 50,000 miles. So just an interesting part about transmissions, but I, I always encourage people, you know, that sometimes they want to forego that $170, $190 transmission flush. Typically, transmissions take, give or take, 16 quarts. Um, most reputable shops will put a put a uh, cleaner inside the transmission. They drive it, run the cleaner through the transmission, and they come back and they connect it to a flushing unit, and they take out 16 old with the flushing unit and put 16 brand new back in and basically back to it was, almost back to it was where it came out of the factory. That's what you guys do. That's what we do. And that's a lot of reputable shops have that type of equipment to be able to do that uh, type of procedure. So you don't just drain it and fill it. It's more of a flush kind of a thing. Um, that is correct to a certain degree. Now, there are some Asian vehicles, the the factory procedure to remove the fluid is literally like oil is to drain it and fill it back up according to usually about three and a half to four quarts come out of the transmission. The catch with that is you leave eight to nine quarts up inside the torque converter itself. So that's the only drawback when you have a system that you can only drain. So you're mixing four or five in with the seven to nine old, and it's never quite the way it is, the way it should be when it's transmission fluid exchange procedure done to it. So um, let's see, let's talk about differential fluid. And, And a lot of people don't necessarily know what differentials are because what happens are most vehicles anymore are front wheel drive, okay? The differential itself is actually inside the transmission um, or piggybacks onto the transmission. And most people don't have discussions with their shops about changing differential fluid because of this. Now, back in the olden days, most cars were rear rear wheel drive. Let's say that slowly. Uh, They were rear wheel drive and you had a differential in the rear. And basically a differential, it's a pretty interesting system. There's about six pinions, gears inside this differential that allow the vehicle, the drive shaft comes back uh, from a, uh, let's put it into a perpendicular perpendicular fashion into the axle. Okay, so it transfers drive to both axles through the axles and this differential has got about, I'm gonna say about six pinion gears inside of it. Pretty interesting system. Whoever invented this was a genius. And there's fluid in there that keeps those differential pinions, the gears inside there lubricated, okay? Interestingly, you used to replace the fluid about every 10 to 15,000 miles. Most vehicles, you either change it every 150,000 miles or some of them you don't even have to change. And the interesting thing was when that came along in our industry, people were like, oh, you're not going to change the fluid. You're going to ruin the differential. That's all there is to it. You're going to ruin the differential. I can't remember the last time I ever saw a ruined differential because fluids weren't changed. So the reason I say this in our industry and this goes kind of ties in back to my wallet flush. In our industry, what you've seen is, remember the car count deal I told you about? Cars are, you're seeing cars less in shops. So our industries had to, had to have gotten creative. So they will go, and some people on this who are listening to the show may have had this done. They'll go into a particular shop and they'll say, hey, by the way, your differential's dirty. And they say, oh, okay, you know, 
What do I need to do? Well, you need to change it. Okay, let's go ahead and change it. You know, it's a $40, $50, $60 add-on to the ticket. It helps the shop make better money. But in the end, it's not helping you because that fluid is not necessarily required to be changed according to the manufacturer. And again, I go back to my statement of, I cannot remember the last time we had a differential fail inside of a car because of these extended intervals and no change intervals and things like that that have gone on. That's because all these shops out there are getting people to change their differential fluids, eh? Um, I don't know <laughs> if I buy into that that whole theory. Maybe, um, maybe not. Maybe not, because we've got a, a large number of customers with over 200,000 miles in their car. And with our philosophy adhering to the owner's manual of the vehicle, um, we we haven't seen these differentials fail. So... I know that's anecdotal. I know it's anecdotal for 4,000 plus vehicles or customers in their vehicles, but I've got to go with the science that I know and what I've studied and all my guys have studied. And it is unfortunately not the proper way to go. Um, Now you'll get some old timer guys that buy into it and say, yeah, you need to change that fluid. But um, I always say, can you show me the science behind it? Can you show me the you know, the, the, the testing they've done on this to be able to back up your theory. And most of the time people can't do that. And I don't, I don't get sarcastic. I just, most of the time I don't even confront them. I just let them think what they want and teach them what we're, our philosophy is all about. So the point being is let's go back to differential fluid. You don't necessarily have to change these as much as you used to have to change them and just buyer beware. If you go into a facility and your car's got, or your truck, let's say, because all trucks have differentials because of the rear wheel drive aspect of them and your truck's got 47,000 miles on it and the facility says hey you need to change your differential fluid I would kindly open up your owner's manual and say hey can you show me where that is where I'm supposed to change that and most of them will not be able to open the owner's manual and tell you where it's at it's based on their recommendations not the factory's recommendations in terms of fluid changes so is that clear yep okay good yep. So the next one that we see, power steering fluid, it keeps the pump lubricated and it keeps um, what they call a steering gear lubricated, which is kind of the skeletal muscle system of your your steering system. Okay. Pretty expensive piece of equipment. It's usually about a thousand bucks for a steering gear. But what you're seeing in the industry is what they call power steering flush, kind of like the transmission flush. But most vehicles, most factory owner's manuals do not recommend changing that fluid. Again, that's a that's technically a sealed system. It shouldn't have any infractions of anything coming into it um, like an oil does. Um, but generally, you don't need to change that fluid. So what they do is they come in with these little testers that they're all white and they're really clean looking. And they put new fluid in with your fluid. And they say, oh my goodness, look at the difference between these two. And your brain sits there and goes, oh yeah, you're right. And you nod and you go, yes, you're right. Those fluids are not matching. They need to match. So then they go out and do the power steering flush. And again, it's not necessary. Open your owner's manual and say, where does it say I need to do that? And that is probably the kindest way of rebutting back in these situations of whether or not you need to do a power steering flush. Um, Chrysler had a few of their models of vans it was almost like a recall issue where they had issues with um, the van itself or the power steering system causing a, a, a noise in turns. And their solution was to flush the brake, the, I'm sorry, the um, power steering fluid. That was a proper thing to do because of the recall notice on that. Um, there are some Asian vehicles that require power steering flushes because of the design of their system. Adhere to the owner's manual and do the power steering flush if that's what it says. 
So I, I hope that answers a couple of questions about the power steering flush. And usually they're not overly expensive. They're 80, 90, hundred bucks. But again, I go back to my, what, what do I pivot on? Our wallet flush. Part of the key to a wallet flush from the sales standpoint is making sure it's not too expensive. Because if they came to you and said, you need to flush your power steering system and it's going to cost $5,000, <clears> most <throat> people would say, yeah. uh, maybe not. You probably wouldn't buy into it. I'd, I'd hope you wouldn't buy into it. But so. as long as it's only 50, 60, 70 bucks, maybe yeah. most people say, eh, yeah. why take the risk? No big deal. That? No big deal. Uh, okay, next one, brake fluid. Uh, it's a hydraulic fluid, crucial for proper braking. Every car's got it. Um, if necessary, add it with the proper fluid. There's there's about three different types of brake fluid out there, a dot three, dot four, and I think a dot five now. Um, just make sure you're adding the proper fluid to your system. If your system is down, by the way, it's low, there's typically an issue with it because um, it's, a, it's a sealed system. Uh, so the o- there's two reasons. You have an infraction of the system, you got a leak somewhere in the system, or your brake pads have gotten so low that they're pushing a little bit more brake fluid out into the system. Okay. It is called, it is, it is a hygros, hygroscopic, it's an interesting word. Okay. What that means is the system is, the fluid is designed to absorb moisture. And I know people don't think about this, but this, this design in this fluid actually prevents deterioration of the metal components in the, in the brake fluid system. So everybody hear that word? Hygroscopic, designed to absorb, absorb moisture. So the reason I also tell people that is don't leave brake fluid caps open for a long period of time. You get in and get out because it will absorb moisture from the humidity in the air. Same thing with a brake fluid container. Don't leave the cap open. Get it, Take the cap off, fill the fluid, put the cap back on immediately. Otherwise, that, that fluid will absorb the moisture and it'll lose its ability to, to do its job in the system. But again, if your brake fluid is down... Mm-hmm. level is down that means you got a problem right? there's usually an issue going on there's so there's a wear needs, issue or a, a leakage issue needs to be addressed it needs to be addressed because you're absolutely you, right because if you got a problem that problem could get worse yes and it could get worse at the time where you need your brakes yes you could be it's, it's a safety issue basically it's a, it, it can be a safety issue yes you're absolutely correct so anyway that's the brake fluid next coolant antifreeze okay this is really simple proper coolant protects you down to 35 below okay all the time all the time it should be if it starts encroaching upon that 25 below to zero to 10 above then the catch is when it gets to be zero and it's only good to 10 above your engine block will likely crack and you get to buy an engine from us i love those tickets but they're not they're not necessary okay so the other deal is most manufacturers typically want them flushed every hundred thousand miles five years six years they're they're all over the board i see them hundred fifty thousand miles i see volkswagens that you don't have to flush them, and they're 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 great. They're great systems, and we never see problems typically because the antifreeze not being flushed in Volkswagens. So a little plug for Volkswagen in that arena. Um, doesn't mean I'm a Volkswagen advocate, but that's the good part about their car. So um, it's designed the the coolant that's in there is designed. It's an anti-corrosion chemical that's inside there that can break down over time in most vehicles. Okay, that's why they want old fluid out, new fluid in. If that anti-corrosion system starts failing, guess what starts failing behind it? Radiators, heater cores, hundreds of dollars. Okay. we're ha- Again, we're happy to take those invoices and we're happy to take care of people's cars when those things happen because of somebody's neglect. 
but we're trying to get to the point where somebody doesn't neglect it and have to spend the money on those things. Was there ever a time way back in the old days where people maintain a different mix in the radiator, summer versus winter, or has it always just been, you have the same mix all the time? I've always, in my career, I've always been, it's always been 50-50 and it's always been 35 plus, 35 below and plus. Maybe it's just because it's more critical in the wintertime. Yes. And so people pay more attention to it. That's exactly right. So yeah, maybe back then before my time. um, But I, I remember as a kid working there and Every winter, there are hordes of people that come in and have their antifreeze temperature exactly. protection checked mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. But that was also when you're flushing cars every two years, the, the antifreeze in cars every two years. And people were really trigger happy about, oh, I got to take care of this because of they were they understood engine, engine blocks cracking. So, you know, with the extended intervals has kind of made people go to sleep. It's probably a good analogy with antifreeze systems. You just don't see that anymore. I mean, we might have a handful of people come in in late fall, early winter and say, we've got to have that done. But, you know, if your shop is taking care of you and they're giving you this antifreeze protection level every time you get your car serviced, there, there should never be a problem. Never be a problem. So adhere to your owner's manual. Okay. Okay. On to the next one. And this is kind of a hot one right now, so to speak. Uh, air conditioning. Well, we had a little conversation before and believe it or not, air conditioning is completely separate from the antifreeze system. Okay, this is probably one of the most misunderstood items in the car industry. Don't feel bad if you think it that way, but they're completely separate. One's designed to keep the engine cool. The other is designed and separate to keep you cool, period. There's no intermixing. There's no fluids mixing. The only joint venture that these two systems have is there is a radiator. And in front of the radiator, behind the radiator, there's what they call a condenser. And that condenser has air flow across it and helps keep that air conditioning system, the gas inside of it, cool, which in turn helps keep you cool. Okay. So the air conditioning system sealed. The only way to lose a refrigerant is if you have an infraction in the system, something goes wrong. Compressor, which is like the heart of the system. That's what does all the pumping. It's like a little mini engine. There's a piston inside of it and a ring inside of it, and it pumps that fluid throughout the whole system. It literally is the heart of the system. It pumps. I'm sorry. I just said fluid. It's gas that's in that system. Okay. There's a little bit of fluid called the oil, the AC oil. They call it PAG oil, and that keeps the system lubricated. But for the most part, it's an, what they call an R134 refrigerant. They've got a new refrigerant coming down the road. It used to be R12 Freon. Um, that has become super expensive and super hard to get. It's typically about $200 a pound. We we don't sell it anymore. It's like liquid gold having it around. If you have a little bit of a leak out, then there's a lot of money that goes out the door. Um, refrigerant in, in, in relative perspective is about $12. A, 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 um, what am I thinking? A gallon. I just said another fluid, a pound. That's how they measure it. It's uh, about $12 a pound. It's not very expensive at all. So um, Freon actually, believe it or not, was a cooler gas, um, but they found that it affects the ozone layer of the earth and they've gotten rid of R12. So, um, debris inside your condenser, that little radiator I just talked about can affect the, the functionality of your air conditioning system. So a good check once a year to make sure that debris is gone and, and have an ASC technician inspect it. Um, a good check once a year to make sure it's run efficient is, is a really good idea. You know how we measure air conditioning systems? It's with a little thermometer inside of the one of the vents inside the car. It's really simple. 
It's a really simple system, and it's and it, there's a little range that cars should be in. And a little side note: if you're running in super hot temperatures outside, everyone use your recirculation button because that turns the air conditioning into like your home air conditioning, and it's got to cool the interior air of the car, which is the system has to work much less hard at doing that as opposed to say it's 99 degrees outside. It's got to take that 99 degree temperature and turn it into 48 degrees inside the car. So Almost impossible. Turns the inside of your car into a closed system. It is exactly right. And some, some people don't like that. They like the fresh air coming in, but most people like the cooler air that is, is doing. So, okay. So uh, does that answer questions about air conditioning system? Yes. Okay. So probably the a couple of things I want to touch on. If you're traveling this summer, uh, make a note. We always encourage people doing pre-trip inspections. You know, it's funny is I changed the oil in my own car. I, I did that back in college. And so it's something that I can do. I've got the facility to do it. So, but what I don't do and I don't trust myself is inspect the vehicle before I go on a trip. So I literally hand it over to one of my technicians. I pay them and they inspect it. They, they check variants on tie rod ends and ball joints. They road test the car for me. They check brake systems. Because what I'm doing is I want to prevent any problem of something going wrong on the trip. So if you're traveling the summer, I always put that little insert in there. Always, always, always do a pre-purchase inspection. It'll reduce the probability of something failing on your car. Do you have a trip. definition of a trip? Uh, typically one, something... One hour, two hours, five hours, ten hours? Two plus, three plus hours. Somewhere you're going to be hung out to dry when you when you do fail out there, uh, down the road. So... Okay. That's, that's my little tip. All right. Great. Well, looks like we have used a half hour of our time. So thanks again for joining us on The Car Guy. Thanks, Brett, for all your wisdom. I appreciate it. And uh, thanks, everybody out there for listening. This has been The Car Guy with Brett Beetzler on PeoriaLife.com. See you next time. PeoriaLife.com.